Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to another riveting episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. I changed that intro up just for you boys and girls right now because it is turkey season. We are talking turkey on this episode, and I am so fired up I could run through a brick wall post-episode right now. But you need to know who I am. I am Walt, and I am joined across the state by my fine co-host, Chase. Dude, are you as amped for turkey season, or am I just kind of out here on an island by myself? Uh, I am now, man. After just recording that <laughs> podcast, dude, I yeah. am amped and ready to rock and roll. I wish the season started tomorrow. <laughs> I know. I know. What we need to do is we need to find a youth and we need to take them to South Florida so that we can take them turkey hunting. That's what we need to do. That's that's the solution here. That's true. That was this past weekend, but heck, we don't need a youth now for this next coming up weekend. If, um, that's true. I believe their season kicks off yeah. uh, this weekend, so good luck to everybody out there hunting in the south zone of Florida. <laughs> Send Absolutely. us some I mean, for real, tag us in all your photos. If you got a good story, send it in. You know, we're it's turkey season, turkey content. If you got a good story, send it to us. We might, uh, we who knows, you might hear your voice on the air one day. But uh, I don't know that we have ever packed so much turkey wisdom into a one-hour block. We, we've had a ton of awesome guests, but this week I really think this is going to be one of those episodes you're going to want to listen to two times because. So much was said, and I really hope uh, that that our guest will come back and talk to us again because I have a feeling we only scratched the surface. Yeah, no doubt. There was several times where he mentioned, oh, I needed a, another podcast for this. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's definitely a, a wealth of knowledge on all things turkey, and it was just a pleasure to have him on the show for the little bit of Absolutely. time that we did have him on here. So Absolutely. Yeah, and we're, and we're talking about uh, Scott Ellis, guys. I mean – 
you know the name if you're in the turkey realm. If you don't know his name, if you're new to the turkey realm, congratulations. I am thrilled to be able to make your acquaintance to uh, perhaps one of the the finer turkey hunters in the southeast, and I'm happy to claim him as a Florida boy as well. So um, he cut his teeth down here in Florida hunting some heavily pressured birds. Uh, spoiler alert, he didn't give away any of those spots despite my best efforts to, to <laughs> coerce them, but uh, <laughs> I imagine that comes with the territory. But Chase, let's keep this intro especially short so that people can get to this episode because it's a good one that I think people are really going to come away with some knowledge. Yeah, man. Awesome. So, first off, we need to thank Tethered. They just dropped the Phantom Saddle. Now, that doesn't necessarily tie into turkey season, but it's never too soon to get ready building your next saddle hunting or your whitetail, the premium whitetail way, uh, the premium whitetail kit to climb any tree anywhere in the country and get after whitetails. TetheredNation.com. Tell them we sent you. Yeah, and as most of you know, if you've been listening for any amount of time, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon members. If you're unfamiliar with Patreon, it's a platform where you can donate directly to the show, and we invest that money right back into the production of this podcast to help bring you a richer experience, and it gives us the ability to purchase things like new equipment for the podcast. We do quarterly giveaways for our Patreon members, and this quarter we're giving away a Trophy Ridge React 5 site. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, visit patreon.com forward slash chasing tails outdoors. That's it. That's it. And the last thing we have to say before we let you get to this episode is Scott Ellis has an app called Turkey Tech. I have been working with this app for probably about two weeks now. It is a fantastic resource. And after the episode, Scott was generous enough to donate three memberships to his app. So this is all you have to do. Go to our Facebook or Instagram post announcing this episode, tag two friends below, and follow HuntQuest. That's all you got to do. It's that simple. Tag two friends on the post that we have announced this giveaway and go follow Hunt Quest to say thank you to Scott. And with that, guys, I think we're on to the show. Let's do it. All right, guys, we are on the line with the four-time Grand National Champion, the host of Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis, which is on the Mossy Oak Go app and YouTube. He works with a variety of companies from Woodhaven Calls, Apex, Ammo, Thermocell, True Glow, and Mossy Oak, obviously. Scott, thank you so much during turkey season taking time out of your day to talk to us, man. That is whew. This is exciting, man. Um it's also it's always fun to talk turkeys, but when you're already on the board and your son, your thirteen year old, whacked a nice gobbler Saturday morning on the youth hunt in the south zone, it makes it even more entertaining and I probably have even more passion and zeal that I can express in our little podcast today because I love talking turkey and when we're already doing it. And I'm already setting up my hunt for this weekend and getting all the menu items set up for the food. Heck, food's half of it, right? Fellowship and food is half of it. Turkey camp, right? You That's know? it. And um, I'm taking a 410 this weekend, which is something we can get into probably later on Apex Ammo and uh, Choke Tubes and Red Dots. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be hunting with a 410 this weekend that is deadly to 40 yards. So um, I'm super excited to be here. I, I appreciate you guys having me on board. It's been a pleasure getting to, to chat with you on Instagram. You, you've, you've sent me a lot of good information, and we're going to talk about some of the things that you offer to people, uh, including your your uh, Turkey Tech app. I think I did. I said that oh, yeah. right, didn't I? That's right. Turkey okay. Tech with Scott Ellis. Yep. There you go. And uh, we're, we'll get into that in a little bit. But I just I'm really excited because I feel like we're going to come away – the listener will come away with 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 a a wide body of knowledge. I have a feeling we're going to cover a variety of topics. We're going to chase that rabbit down the hole, and it's going to be uh, 
it's going to be a good time. So why don't we jump into the content of today's episode because I know time is limited. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is hunting in unfamiliar terrain. A lot of people, if they don't have a you know a piece of property that they they uh, get to to scout and know, or let, let's say they're just going across the country to to, to hunt new unfamiliar uh, areas, what can they do to prepare themselves, or what what should they be taking into consideration? That's a great question because what happens to me, like I'm for example, I'm hunting uh, Washington State this year. I'm hunting Michigan, and I'm hunting Maine all in May. Now, April will deal up some Florida stuff, some Georgia stuff, and some South Carolina hunting. And a couple of those places I've actually hunted, but but there's three states that I'm trying to check off. I'm trying to do a super slam in a lifetime. Mm. I'm not going to be able to do it in three seasons or five seasons, but I'm trying to click off a few states every year where I haven't killed turkeys. And I do this every year, and I've been doing it for extensively for probably 15 years. And it boils down to a local knowledge and MRI, most recent information. And that's the people that have boots on the ground and have knowledge of where you're going to be hunting. If you have the luxury of somebody that's going to take you out on their property or go on the public grounds that they have had knowledge, that's always great to have somebody there in your corner to give you a little bit of information. Sure. Outside of that, get on Topo and Aerial Maps, Google Earth look at terrain features that could possibly give roosting sites that could give strut zone areas, open areas, try to, to ascertain what type of, 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 uh, elevation you're going to be hunting. Um, it's something that you have to identify early on because you may go in to be hunting public land that you, you may not have the luxury of what I've said for number one, which is just having somebody that has some knowledge of the property. And from there, you've got to do either you go in early and do some scouting which some people have the luxury of doing, they'll go in and they'll spend two or three days prior to the hunt to scout, especially if it's on the front end of a season and it's not open yet. They'll go out, you know, put boots on the ground. They'll go listen for birds. They're looking for sign. And what I do a lot of the time, guys, is I do what I call scout hunting. And that's when I get into these properties that I have no knowledge of. I'm looking for sign and listening for sign, if you will, while I'm there. As the hunt is unfolding, I'm looking for strut marks. I'm looking for scratching. I'm looking for droppings for potential roost areas. I'm identifying whether or not the birds are gobbling, what phase of the goblet, what phase of the mating cycle they're in. Am I hearing a lot of hen talk? Am I seeing gobblers hand up real bad? That's something that I can deduce if I get to go in a day or two early and have a little bit of information, a little bit of scouting information. If, if it, if all else fails, use your maps Use your ears and use your eyes, and a lot of times what I have to do, other than saying, well, there's turkeys in this general area, I'm actually, it's unfolding in front of my eyes, and I'm trying to identify what's going on, where, where can I set up on birds, where's the best place that these birds could be traveling, could be, could be lounging around, strutting in, um, breeding hens, where are they flying down to off the roost, where are they, do they have food sites, are, they, are there acorns still in the ground where I'm hunting? I'm identifying whether there's fresh sprouts and growth. Um, if it's a place where the the uh, the spring has sprung, if you will, and they have food sources, because if you find the hens, you find the gobblers. Look for hens. Look for hen sign because generally, where you find hens, you're gonna find gobblers. Nine out of ten times, there's gonna be a gobbler out there looking for that hen. And what brings hens to particular areas is food sources. Nesting area and food sources is where you're gonna find hens. So look for places that are thick that hens could potentially nest in. 
look for places where there are good there are grasshoppers and insects. We were out in the woods this last weekend, um, like we had mentioned earlier, or maybe not, but Jake has already on the board. My son is already on the board on the South Zone youth hunt. And something that I identified hunting a place I'd hunted a few times but still didn't have great knowledge of is we were starting to see in Florida the black grasshoppers with the yellow stripes on their back, mm-hmm. which is a huge protein and food source for Florida turkeys, for Osceolas. So I started seeing lots of pockets and pods of these grasshoppers. So there's a food source that I know that those turkeys are going to key on. It can, again, be be uh, green shoots and sprouts. It can be mass crop acorns that are still in the ground left over from the fall and the winter. Um, that's a great way of finding birds and, and locating birds. So I'm getting long-winded, as I always do with these things. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to give people as much information on how do I find turkeys. And I said listening for sign, too. That's something I mentioned earlier. Let me go back to that. Um, it's just getting out there and listening. How many birds did you hear in that one particular area you started? Did you hear one bird? Did you hear five birds? I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. That's pretty much common sense. I heard five birds. This is a place where I know I can go back to that those birds are probably going to be hanging around, Okay. Those are places that you may go the next morning, and you may not hear much goblin. Easterns and Osceolas, more so than Rios and Miriams, if you're hunting you know, the western birds. But <clears throat> places like that where you hear that multi- multiple gobblers on the roost, you found a good spot. And even if you go in there the next day and don't hear a lot of goblin, that's where I'm going to go in and blind call and set up. If I don't hear them on the roost, I know those birds are there. They're in that vicinity. That's what I'm not going to do as much running and gunning because it's pointless in my opinion. I'm going to set up and do a lot of blind calling. So I think we touched on a lot of key factors on how to identify birds where you don't know where there's birds. And if you can do that and do it consistently, you're going to put turkeys in your vest. Okay. So the, the most difficult component of everything you just said, and I, I guarantee you we'll get questions on this. So I'm just going to ask it now. What is the proper way to build those on the ground connections in the, in the Turkey world where people can give you live information? Because it seems like, People pretend to be uh, pretty close to the vest on, on what they're seeing and where. Well, I mean, it's 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 basically people that you have swapped a hunt with. Maybe you have Eastern Sea has Rios. I got um, you. You swap a hunt. That's always great. There's a lot of tools. I have a group on Facebook called Turkey Callers of America. I'm very proud of. Best turkey group in facebook <laughs> and we have almost 20 well we have almost twenty five thousand members there's a few rules in place that keep it clean no profanity no sales pitches no hashtagging it's just about people sharing information and knowledge of the wild turkey and to get back to your question i mean um if you're going blind on public ground and there's a lot more of it in a lot of states other than florida where you can openly hunt public ground a lot of florida the better hunts in florida I'm off on a tangent already, or the quota hunt. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you in name management areas, but the best thing for the guy to do to kill an Osceola is to use a quota system and to go start getting preference points if you don't get drawn. The more open management areas that don't require quota hunts are just overrun with people because everybody's trying, trying to save three, three grand <laughs> and kill an Osceola without an outfitter. So going back to it, it's just about um, networking. It's about meeting people that are open and willing to sharing a little bit of information. I do it all the time. I mean, is is the thousands of messages that I receive every turkey season, I try to point people in the direction of decent management areas, you know, in, in private that, that have to take the time to reach out to me. And I try to give them a few names and a few management areas where I've hunted and had success and tried to get them 
to uh, to put in for those type quotas or or try those open areas. Um, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, people, turkey hunters have always been known to be very secretive and not want to share their information. So it's it's going to be about finding somebody that's just there. There are great people in the turkey community. Some of them are not so great, but there are great people. And a lot of it has to do with trying to trade off hunts. Sure. You know, use your knowledge that you have locally in your neck of the woods, especially if you're in Florida. We're in Florida here with Osceola's. Or if it's a guy that's in the southeast that has easterns and maybe a guy out west messages him on Facebook or on Turkey Callers of America and they just swap information and maybe swap a hunt. Um, outside of that, um, some people are open to just sharing some places they've hunted, places they don't consistently hunt, so they're not concerned as much with giving some uh, some GPS uh, waypoints or whatever that could probably put them in the right direction of a bird or, or a, a traditional roost site or something. But ultimately, it's just about finding that right guy that wants to help another turkey hunter out. But there are plenty of people that that aggravate the piss out of me, quite honestly. <laughs> that they don't they don't they don't want to do anything but call Scott Ellis and go, "Hey, where did you kill these turkeys? I need a I need a starting point." And I try to help everybody, but you know, you there, there's just only so much information you can divulge. You know, you yeah. can't tell them all your spots and all your places. I hunt a lot of public ground in Florida to this day, and continue and will continue to do it. I'm not going to give all my spots away, but I try to give people a starting point. Sure. So if you can find somebody that's willing to share, I think swapping hunts is a, is a great tool. Uh, maybe swap a deer hunt. A lot of guys have a lot of great deer grounds that in Kentucky and Tennessee and Illinois and Iowa. Iowa's really hard to get an all-resident tag. We know that. The places <laughs> that you can maybe swap a whitetail hunt for an Osceola hunt if you're down here in Florida. Or you can swap a turkey for deer. That's another way of trying to, you know, you got to wheel and deal with people. You know, offer them something in return for their knowledge and what they're doing. And just be, say, hey, I've got this, and maybe you can come down and hunt with me. And then, then, then the relationship starts. So just share the knowledge as you see fit. Don't give away all your hot spots, but, but just be willing to maybe swap a hunt or engage another hunter and just help another hunter as long as it doesn't infringe and hurt you in the long run. That makes sense. Absolutely, Chase. You've got a pretty good a bit of experience with that uh, thus far, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I've used that to my advantage several times, where I've uh, searched out people who I knew were looking to come down here and kill Osceolas, and so I would try to do some type of swap. It may not even been a hunt. I actually did a swap this past year where I had a guy come down. He didn't really have anything to offer me hunt wise, but I'd always wanted to go see the Dallas Cowboys play and he lived actually in Boston. So I actually went out and watched the New England Patriots play the Cowboys and he bought the tickets and all that stuff. And I, that's what I got in exchange for offering a turkey hunt. So there, I mean, there's all kind. No, that, that there's all kinds of ways that you can do it. And I was just like, I was like, well, what can I get from this guy? Is like he, like you said, he didn't mention that he had anything hunting. But I was like, well, uh, what do you have? And then he kind of mentioned to me that, and I was like, well, I've always wanted to watch the Cowboys play, and I, I knew he had ticket, <laughs> uh, could get tickets for the New England game. So he just said. I just said, hey, whenever the Cowboys play New England, I want to come up there. And sure enough, when it came on the schedule, he sent me a message instantly. He's like, hey, man, you coming up to watch this game? I got you covered. So, (laughs) I mean, and that was just on a whim. So, use It's it's about horse trading and just – listen, it's always about – nobody wants to get get nothing for something. Does that make sense? Absolutely. They don't want to just – you know, get not something for nothing, nothing for something. Like I'm going to offer up my spots in, in places and in, in, in MRI and, and geographical knowledge of birds and properties without saying, let's, let's, I'm here. I'm here. I mean, 
maybe I can give you some, maybe I'm a call maker. Maybe I'm with a company that can give you some free camo. I don't know. Just like you said, you had football tickets engaged with the whole deal on swapping out some hunts and stuff. So there you go. Just don't expect something for nothing or nothing for something. Be willing to talk somebody to somebody and, and engage them for that knowledge and, and hell even purchase it from them. You know, Hey, I got to offer you a hundred dollars. If you can just give me some knowledge on this management area that I got drawn for in this state, just, just people always got their hand out. Don't be feel self entitled. Just feel like you can, you can um, offer them something for their knowledge and you can go a long ways with that, just as you've just proven with football tickets. <laughs> right. Now, Scott, you, you mentioned, or Walter kind of posed the question of hunting in unfamiliar terrain and all that. Well, what about familiar terrain? What is your, like, preseason scouting entail for birds and areas that you're familiar with? Um, historical knowledge. Um, there's a particular management area that we filmed uh, three episodes, I believe, in Florida for Hunt Quest, <clears throat> this last it's on this season from last season. It's on this year's show. It's on the Go app and on YouTube. And uh, I'm not going to say the name of the management area, but um, we we scouted it. Yeah, you can, you can. No, I can't. <laughs> we scouted it. So listen, this is what we did. We we li- literally took a day of our vacation, and everybody came in one day early, and we we scouted from daylight till dark. And started finding data and collecting data on prints in the sand, tracks, droppings, what we heard that morning. We all, and this is a group of guys, there's three or four of us that are great friends. And we all set up that evening and cooked steaks on the grill and sat around the circle and compared data and where we can maps and stuff. But what I do, I mean, I don't get to hunt these places a lot of times every year, year to year, because it, they're quota hunts and you have to get preference for quota hunts. So, um, Outside of just doing a little bit of scouting, it's historical knowledge. It's where nine out of ten times, if you've hunted places, like I'm hunting a particular wildlife refuge in South Carolina this year. I've been hunting it since the mid-90s when I was in the Army stationed at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. And I've hunted this place for over 25 years now. And we've had we've seen the population of turkeys rise and fall the last two decades but nine and a half out of ten times even when the populations we felt were down the gobbling was down we could still find a bird on those historical places so to not get too long-winded and answer this question just real quick and short i use all my historical data on places where i have hunted that have any consistency this is private land and public land um there's a couple places i'll hunt this year in florida that i get invited to hunt and uh, it's really good property, but you still got to go to the right places. And historically, we can go to those same places that we've scouted and found birds in. There's something that's keeping those birds there, whether it's roost areas, whether it's nesting areas, whether it's a food source, whether it's just all around good turkey habitat. Those birds tend to still be there on the good years and the bad years. And so for me, I use historical data collected over years of hunting a place year after year, and that's how I – and I go back to these places year after year. And um, and Osceola's, they don't tend to roost in the exact same spot, but they'll be, they'll be in the general area. You know, turkeys in Florida mm-hmm. can roost anywhere they decide to fly up that day. <laughs> but you will still find where they have roosted in, in areas, we'll say, within 50 acres or 25 acres. 
they'll kind of tend to always be a bird in that same place year after year. Right. I've, I've found that on some of the properties that I hunt where I'm at is I've probably killed birds on some of these properties within what, 50 yards of where I killed other birds at just like year after year, just going to those same spots and they're roosting in the same areas and bam. <laughs> they're there. They're just there. So that's, that's the best answer I can give you for the places that I do because there's no place. This is, you're, you're going to laugh, but as many places and as much as I hunt for 90 days, and this is all based on vacation days and weekends. That's all I get to do. Mm-hmm. Just, so the, just a disclaimer. I don't hunt turkeys <laughs> every day from last Saturday until May. I don't do that. I have to burn vacation with, with so just so the people know, because you'd be shocked how many people sure. that will come to me and go, you mean you don't hunt every day all over the United States? And no, no, I work a full-time job. You know, I have to use vacation mixed with weekends to do the hunting I do. So anyways, I don't get to hunt those places over and over and over again very often. But when I do get to repeat them, maybe every other year, every third year, we go back to those same historical places. They generally will have turkeys. And then if they don't, you just do what I do, what I said we do earlier. And I will scout, I will scout hunt, which is when I'm, when I get boots on the ground and start hunting that particular morning, you might find another roost area. You might find another area that's holding a bird. You might locate, Oh man, look at all this strut marks on the, in the sand. These weren't here three years ago, but we got a gobbler right here that we can hunt. So that goes back to MRI, which you can do on your own without anybody's help if you got boots on the ground and you're in there hunting that particular time. Don't ever discount finding places and different birds in the places you've hunted year after year or every other year. Never discount locating more birds and finding more sign and identifying more areas that could hold birds that they may not have had had been in those historical places. Right. So let me ask you this. I, I, I'm Again, I've said this earlier. I've said it numerous times on the podcast itself, but I, I'm new to turkey hunting and I'm watching these diehards like yourself who get it done. You're passionate about it. I mean, you can just hear the enthusiasm in your voice. And I recognize that there's a little more to this than, you know, just going out, hoot Allen, finding a bird on the roost and then getting after it. That there's sometimes a, a, a strategy very similar to whitetail hunting using t- terrain features and, 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 uh, setups to kill birds. And, and I, I think I heard you touch not too long back on how you will leverage geographic features or water features to help funnel a bird to you. Can you touch on that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, well, I don't run decoys. Anybody that's followed me for longer than five seconds, you pretty, or watched hunt quest. You don't see decoys. Um, and I, and that's not that I, that I'm against anybody using a decoy. That, that's nothing to do with it. Um, the backstory to that is I learned to hunt them on public ground without decoys. I experimented briefly in the mid nineties when the feather flex decoys came out, those, those injected foam decoys that mm-hmm. looked like a chicken with a red head or whatever. <laughs> they were, they were horrible. Um, I, I dabbled with them a few times in the mid nineties when they hit the market. I had no success. Um, I had birds hanging up, looking at decoys at 50 yards and standing there looking at them and walking off. So, you know what? Through attrition, I didn't use decoys anymore. I tried them. It didn't work. Had I had, you know, them run the decoys over, I might have been a different turkey hunter than I am today because there's some great turkey hunters that use, that use deeks. I don't, that's not a problem with that. But what I have learned to do in going back to your original question and how to funnel birds in using water, using pinch points like in whitetail hunting, um, using places where you know that they will come anyways 
and you set up in that position because you knew they may have been flying down and headed to that one food plot or to that one strut zone. I just basically will try to use anything I can do to put the path of least resistance in my favor. And that's, that's on places that I've known and I know that I've hunted for years and that I can, I know that this will be the best path for that Turkey to get to me. And even on places that I haven't hunted that I have no knowledge of other than identifying terrain features that I've done while I was scout hunting to go, this has got to be a great place for a bird to come into gun range because I've got enough cover to hide. What I call it is it's something I feel like I've coined. It's called hiding the hen. And what I do is I set up in these places where the bird cannot see a hen from long distances. Mm. When I set up nine out of 10 times and you'll watch my show on the go app and on YouTube, you watch the hunt quest. You'll see very often my birds are coming in more than more times than not alert. And they're looking for the hen they've been hearing and communicating with because I set up in a place where they're not going to see a decoy for a hundred yards and then just fall in love with the decoy and come ambling over in full strut and then decide to go hump the decoy and all that good stuff. What I do is I use those terrain features to hide myself in a position where I usually like to give myself 40 to 50 yards where when he gets in that, that gun range arena for me, it's a dead Turkey, but he cannot see the hen he's hearing until he gets in the gun range. And, and that's what I do to try and use my my calling advantage that I have being a better caller than average and understanding the vocabulary of the turkey and what calls to make and when to make them to communicate with them and not just be be uh, inadvertently calling and making sound. I'm trying to communicate with the bird. I use that coupled with good setups, which we can go into in a minute on a bad setup that I had yesterday on my with my nephew, but <laughs> because I wasn't familiar with the terrain, we'll go to that we'll go to that in a minute. But I try to couple that with hiding the hen and putting myself in a position where he has to come look for me. He's never going to be able to be in a hardwood piece of a hardwood bottom where he can see a hen for 200 yards and, and go, where's that hen I'm hearing? I'm not seeing a hen over there. I always use the terrain features to hide my location and hide where the location of the hen that he's hearing would be so that he has to take a peek. And that's how I use the pinch points situations you mentioned earlier, almost like deer hunting. I, I will set up on the edge of a field edge, but I don't set up on the edge of the field. I set up 30 yards inside the field. So if I spot a gobbler that's out in a pasture, say anywhere, anywhere, there's pastures everywhere across the United States, whether you're hunting Rios, Miriams, Easterns, Osceola's, there's a lot of pasture, improved pasture throughout the United States or, or open areas. I'm never going to set up on the edge of that field because a gobbler, as we well know, his his hearing is so good, he's going to be able to hear you and go, there's not a hen standing there. I'm hearing all this beautiful music, all this beautiful conversation. There's no turkey standing there. I'll always set up 20, 30 yards inside of a wood line. So he has to go, man, I hear this sexy hen. I hear her. I cannot see her. <laughs> and by the time he closes the distance – He's in gun range. Even if he's 20 yards in the field still, he's looking. He's trying to find that hen. And then guess what? With my Apex ammunition, <laughs> it's going to be too late. If he's, I'm not even going to give distances exactly, but, but we're just going to say if he's within my maximum effective shotgun range, which is longer than it used to be when we were kids is what I'll call it. 
he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. And it's too, the game is over. He came in to take a peek because he couldn't see the hen that he was hearing. If he can see the hen he's hearing and you don't run decoys, then you're, the game is the jig is up. So always use terrain and cover to funnel those birds towards you and to put yourself in a position where he has to take a peek. He has to close the distance to come in and see the sexy hen he's hearing. So transition from that, talk about the, the, the bad situation that you had. I think we talked about that before we started the episode. I think people are going to really appreciate that one. Yeah, it was, it was so disheartening. So we Jake kills a nice bird Saturday on opening day within an hour of sunrise. Bird never gobbled. We can go back to this as well. Bird never gobbled. He came in drumming with a hen, oh, probably wow. because he was had his butt whooped, and that's probably why he didn't <laughs> gobble. I don't know for sure because we didn't hear a bird gobbling close. But but the situation yesterday was this. I out-hooted at daybreak. I out-hooted again, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. started breaking, started breaking light. Boom, I out-hooted gobbler hammers. We, we had a fellow with us that had some knowledge of the property, but wasn't he wasn't completely versed in every facet and every oak hammock on this 5,000-acre uh, hunting lease. And so we slipped down the road. He goes, I do know there's a road through the woods that we can get a little tighter to him. Perfect. Okay. We slipped in tighter to this turkey. I looked to my left in the oak hammock. We were in an oak hammock. It, it opened up pretty nice. And I was like, this is going to work right here. We slipped in there. I got in there, and believe it or not, uh, I have to explain this for people that aren't from Florida, cockleburs. The little, it's the Klingons. It's not sand yep. spurs. It's the little the little clingers, the, the, the seed pods that have the little grippers that bite onto your clothing. But when I got in there, I go, man, there's a lot of these things in here. This is bizarre, but I think we're okay. And it was dark. It was It was not bright enough for me to make a good deduction of what we had. So we set up, we get the cameras rolling, we get my nephew Ty Cooper on his shooting stick with the 410 Stevens with the Apex Turkey Ninjas, the, the True Glow Red Dot, he's ready. He can kill one 40 yards and in with his 410 now God. because of these wicked shells. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> the 410 Turkey Ninjas, seven eighths of an ounce, seven eighths of an ounce of nine and a half TSS. The nine and a half TSS hits with the kinetic energy of about a six lead. Jeez. which is what I hunted with my whole life until TSS came along. Yeah. Yes. So that said, it started breaking daylight. The birds hammering. I tree called to him. I gave him some beautiful tree talk. I gave him different tree calls from sounding like different hens. Um, I gave two different fly down cackles. The birds choking on himself. It was, it was epic. You'll, you'll see it on the show. And then I gave two different fly down cackles. Like I said, went quiet and he went quiet. I go, he just flew down. Get ready, boys. Gave him a got two or three minutes. I hit him with some clucking and some yelping. He hammered. He's on the ground. He's already closing. He's closing. He's closing. And as daylight broke, I'm looking around me going, oh, my gosh. We can't see but about 20 yards effectively. Ty, my nephew, is nine. He's he, he's He's been shooting with me since he was about seven. He can handle firearms. He's a great shot. But he's four foot three. So he has no vertical height. When you put a four foot three nine year old on a base of a tree, he's only got about twenty inches of vertical view. So right. the bird's closing. The bird's closing. All of a sudden, I put eyes on him. I was like, I, I think I saw him, Uncle Scott. I saw him. Um, he, he. I, I finally find him in the camera. It was really tough because it was still kind of dark, honestly. I find him on camera. I'm like, buddy, if he sticks his head up and you can shoot him, go ahead and shoot him. 
you know, the camera was cocked on the 410. We're ready. We're ready. And that bird hung around about 25 yards for about three or four minutes. And then he drifted off and he hung up in gun range, literally 35 yards and gobbled his brains out for 15 minutes. We had barred owls come in over us from where I had hooted earlier. <laughs> Raising cane. This bird is triple gobbling at, at these barred owls. Some of the most epic Osceola gobbling you'll ever hear because go- everybody hears, you know, we talk, I, I even preach it. Osceolas tend to not gobble as much as, as Easterns, definitely as Rios and Miriams. But this gobbler gobbled and gobbled and gobbled. And he was in gun range, but we were in thick terrain. This oak hammock had palmettos. It just wasn't open enough to make the shot. And so because of my lack of knowledge and my buddy even that has hunted this place for several years didn't realize that particular spot was not going to be a great setup. We could have set up one of 100 places as hot as he was and put ourselves in better visibility, which is what I mentioned about an hour ago. What time is it going to be? (laughs) (laughs) So visibility is a key factor in a good setup, so you can make the shot. Um, It was not there, and I made a bad setup. And You would think it's a rookie mistake, but it's lack of knowledge, and it was dark. And and unfortunately, had it been more open, we'd have had two birds to talk about on the board already in, in South Florida you know, for Scott Ellis and Jake Ellis and Ty Cooper. But that's what happened. It was lack of knowledge and lack of the terrain, no one knowing the terrain. So what could we take away from this? What I could take away from this and would have done differently is let the sun break a little bit longer, not talk to him on the roost as quick as I did because I thought we had a solid setup. I would have used that alcohol and pinpointed him like I had done and never got too, never got to, it would have not hen called. Right. So that way he wasn't keen and alerted to a sexy hot hen that he was hearing. Then if I just gave it a little bit more light, I would have seen that this particular spot that I picked was too thick, especially for Ty and his, his vertical view challenge that he had. And I would have probably set up on the little dim road that we walked in on and caught him, probably caught him right down the road and Ty would have killed him without a doubt. So in retrospect, I would have given it a little bit more time for the sun to break so I could deduce what type of setup I had. I got overzealous. I got too excited because he was so fired up and, and set up in a place that as the sun broke and it got lighter, I realized was not a great setup location. So there you have it. Sorry, I'm long-winded again. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I think that happens to all of us. I've been burnt quite a few times of going in dark with somebody else, not having – familiarity with where we were at and they're like hey sit here and you get in and you're even on a road like they're like hey let's get back here let's get off the road a little ways well day breaks birds fly down well they cross the road probably 30 yards in front of us but i've got literally i might have had a 10 yard shot at these birds i'm like this this setup was not a good one and like i said had i known that prior to hand then i would have probably done i would definitely would have done something a little bit different to kind of get set up and hit as opposed to being so far back off of that road. Cause I mean, I could see them in the road, but no shot. No shot. A disclaimer and an easy disclaimer would be the fact that this very rarely happens when I have good light, <laughs> right? Because I can mm. assess what I have these type of, when I have handcuffed myself a time or two over the last several years, I mean, it has happened a time or two or three or four was generally in the dark when you and you you were in a place you were unfamiliar with. I mean, there's guys that hunt turkeys. They know right where they're going to set. They know the tree they're going to set. They've watched the birds. They they have the luxury of patterning the birds. 
where I don't rarely, rarely, if ever, have that luxury. But when I have enough daylight, which is going back to saying how I would have done it differently, I would I would have not called to him. I would have waited till it broke a little more daylight and seen this is a horrible setup because the visibility factor is down. So again, a takeaway is if you get in that situation, let it get a little bit more light if you're unsure of your setup. That way, you know you've got good visibility at a minimum because that that's not. As long as you're not getting him too fired up and him calling to him, there's a chance you'll you'll gain another five to ten minutes of roost time where you can reposition on him and make a better setup. As long as you're not him calling. See, I did all that sexy hen talk on the roost, and then I did two fly down cackles with a wing, and buddy, he was he was looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, he was <laughs> well in the right places. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> for him, for his sake, he found it in the right places because I made a mistake. But right. I don't have a problem in getting that. That's what makes us better turkey hunters is going backwards and, and deducing what we could have done differently that would have made that successful so you don't do it again on the next hunt. Right. We talk right. a lot about that on the podcast, <laughs> about when you're making mistakes, just learn from them. <laughs> you're going to make mistakes and try not to do it next time. Oh, yeah. 35 years later, I make them every season and learn from them. Absolutely. <laughs> I kind of want to touch on turkey calling. I mean – it would be a shame if we didn't. And we have a, 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 I mean, come on. So we have a huge base of new listeners. And we've got a huge base of, obviously, probably a larger base of people who have been doing this a time or two. But I sure. think there are probably a lot of common mistakes that are made by all spectrums of uh, turkey hunters. And I know that your app has been a huge benefit for me to not only just learning how to call, but also understanding um, how turkeys communicate because it's not random can exactly. you can you make the connection between the two absolutely um 90 percent 80 percent 90 percent of turkey callers arbitrarily go in the woods with their box call their mouth call and they hear a bird gobble and they go cluck cluck yelp yelp right. and that's all they know to do in the end guess what that will kill turkeys there's there's plenty of hot two-year-olds out there that's all they need to hear is a hen and they are going to run themselves over to find that hen. And, and then we love—I love those birds. I shoot every one I can. Trust me, I don't—I don't discriminate a two or a six-year-old gobbler. That's not my bag, man. If he is mature, he has a full fan, and he gobbles. I'm not looking at his spurs through a binocular as he's closing in on me. Right. So that said, how do you take the time? Look up my app, Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It's on the Droid platform at the Google Play Store, and it's on the App Store for iPhones. It's $4.99. It's the cost of a cappuccino at your favorite coffee shop. <laughs> but there is 35 <laughs> years of my knowledge of turkey hunting. And if you don't mind, if you can indulge me, it's it's this. I, I just like to talk about what it is. Absolutely. It's got, it's got text tips about what the call is, why turkeys use it, and when they use it, and when you should use it as a hunter. That's step one. Step two has instructional video instruction of me running mouth calls and pot calls. I left a box call out because the box call is not quite as versatile as a mouth call and as a pot call. You can pretty much do everything on both of those two calls, but not so much on a box call. The box call is good for clucking and cutting and yelping right. more than anything. So anyways, it has me giving video instruction on a pot call and a mouth call. From there, it has audio of me running both the calls and the name of the call, whether it's cutting Excited yelping, plain yelping, cluck and purr, fighting purrs, kiki run. It has me running that particular call on in audio sound files 
and and the best part of it is, and this is the disclaimer, is it has wild turkey um, audio. Which is amazing. It has the wild birds. It has real turkeys doing it. I'm not trying to toot my horn here. Um, I'm a pretty good turkey caller, but it has real birds doing it and real cadences from real turkeys that, that I've captured in audio over the years. And last but not least, it has a the ability to access your phone recorder on your mic on your phone. You can record your calling, and then you can stack it against my calling, or you can stack it against the wild turkeys, which is more important. And I stress that to everybody. Yeah, yeah, I can call pretty good, but but ultimately, listen to the wild birds. Listen to both of us, but listen to the wild birds. Listen to me because you can figure out the fact that this guy can sound like a turkey. That means I can sound like a turkey. It means that a human being can can mimic wild turkey sounds almost as good as a turkey can do it. Not exactly as good by no means, no sure. stretch of the imagination. Sure. But you can still hear the capabilities of what your calls will be able to reproduce if you practice and you do a little bit of homework and learn how to use the call and how to master the call. It's not going to come overnight. It's not going to come in five minutes. <laughs> if you're going to be serious about it, use the stinking app and, 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 and use the instruction that I've garnered for 30 something years of Turkey calling and learn how to be a better Turkey caller and learn how to communicate with a wild Turkey and not just call at a turkey, you communicate with a turkey. That's the difference. There's a huge difference in calling at a turkey, cluck, yelp, 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 cluck, yelp, 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 cluck, cluck, and actually understanding that this gobbler has gobbled 100 times, okay, in 20 minutes. I need to do something different than cluck, cluck, yelp, yelp. I need to start clucking and purring. I need to shut up and not call at all. I need to – this gobbler's so hot. A gobbler – this is just a perfect, simple scenario. He is gobbling his guts out. I'm going to do, I'm going to turn the volume down. I'm going to turn the frequency down and I'm going to go shy. I'm going to play coy with him. He is looking for love. He wants to come to you, but don't keep calling to him relentlessly because that's going to just cause him to hang up. What you do in that typical situation is you go quiet or you start clucking and purring and very soft yelps very, very sparingly. Because he is so fired up, you called a lot and aggressively early. He is wanting to come to you. He is wanting to show you how beautiful and manly he is and how long his beard is and how long his spurs are. <laughs> he is wanting to procreate with you. But if you do it too much, Mother Nature takes over. The stubbornness of the wild turkey takes over. Right. And he's going to stand there and display and want to show off for you. So go quiet. Go sparing. Go very, very, very sparing on your calling. And then you're capitalizing on his mood. You're exploiting his mood. You're trying to take him from this super hyper testosterone-filled, love-crazed excitement to, uh, I'm not that interested now. And he will come to you if you can be disciplined enough to tone it down or shut up completely. When you have a bird that fired up, he is going to come to you. Nine out of ten times, that gobbler will come find you because he cannot stand the fact that this sexy, hot, mouthy hen shut up or almost all but all but quit calling to him. So that's just one little example of what the app touches on. And what's even cooler, I'm sorry I didn't mention this earlier, the new update that we just did, there's four hunts. There's like a Miriam hunt, two Osceolas, and an Eastern or something like that. And these hunts that we're going over, I introduced a clip and I talk about the things that made this successful, whether it was calling aggressively whether it was calling quietly, whether it was the setup, 
it, I introduced the clip and go, guys, key on this, watch this turkey hunt. This is what you're going to see that caused this to be successful. And that's, I'm really proud. And we're probably next year, we're going to do more updates on the app next, probably January. And it's going to be more situational hunts where you can key in on what I'm doing that made that hunt successful. And then you put that in your turkey computer, your encyclopedia, if you will. And remember, I watched Ellis do this on his little app. I watched him. That turkey was 300 yards away, and I couldn't get closer to him for whatever reason. So I called really aggressive and really loud, and that turkey started gobbling regular. And then that bird started closing the distance, and then I shut my calling down and went quiet and waited for him. I played cat and mouse with that turkey. And what that's what you're going to see on those situational hunts on the app is how that those – different things that I keyed on made that hunt successful. Sorry, I'm getting long-winded again, but here we go. <laughs> well, and but I, it's good. There's good stuff to key on that made the hunt successful and make the app a great tool for learning how to be more successful and more consistently killing turkeys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I just want to tell people kind of how I'm using it right now. And I, I sit out back outside, uh, largely because if you run this app and you're trying to learn how to turkey call, your wife will run you out of the house. Um, but yeah, there's always that. <laughs> <laughs> However, that said, I just sit, I just sit out on the, on the, on the back of my truck with the app just on, on repeat. And I'm just listening to the, to the, to the, to the cadence. I'm listening to the, 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 the timing Calls. between. Yeah. Yeah. Just the whole thing. And then just when I hear my call, make that same noise and it matches that pitch. I'm like, Ooh, whatever you did, figure out what it was and do it again. Um, but there you go. You know, it's, it's, it's an awesome app. I really heavily encourage people to go look at it and it's, it's ridiculously affordable when you, when you see what you're getting out of it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I'm shocked you're charging as little as you are, to be honest. Well, I appreciate that. It's the price of a cappuccino, literally. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it's really in the app, listen, Turkey hunters, um, we, how do I, how do I say this? Let me think about this for a minute. So I don't shoot myself in the foot. Um, guys go out and kill a couple turkeys and they, and they, they're experts, right? Everybody's seen this. I've watched this my whole life. I did it. I killed two turkeys on public land in Osceola's country in Florida. Oh, there's nothing to this. I've got this. I'm an expert now. (laughs) This is the thing to take into consideration when turkey hunting. And I do it every year. Just as I mentioned earlier, I make mistakes and I learn every year and I kill a crap load of turkeys in between. But I'm still making mistakes and still learning and still dialing that knowledge in so that I can remember it. Well, hopefully at 45 now, I can remember it in a year or two. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there is that. There is the fact I'm kind of getting old. I'm getting up there a little bit. But I take all that knowledge and that data, and I'm never too humble or too proud to know I can learn some more. That's what this app is. Right. There's. I, I feel like it's great for beginner hunters because they really want that knowledge that listen, I learned from magazine articles and a, a vinyl 33 record from Penn's woods that Rod <laughs> Latham did. I had it. I'm 45. I mean, I was born in 74. I started turkey hunting in the eighties. I learned from a vinyl 33 record Penn's woods with world champion caller Rod Latham. And that's what I had to learn from. Now you have everything at your fingertips. So if you just take the time, to put a little bit of effort into what you're doing and to, and to hone your skill and your craft a little bit right? and never be afraid to learn from your mistakes, you're going to be a better turkey hunter season after season after season. You're going to get better and better. I think I still get better at killing these crazy birds. After 35 <laughs> years, I think I still get better and better and better at killing them because I learn 
from my own mistakes. And I'm never too proud to learn something from anybody else who wants to share some knowledge with me. So the app is a great tool. Please don't ever think that you're above something like that to learn something from somebody that might have a little more knowledge than you do on how to hunt and successfully kill a wild turkey. You mentioned earlier about, and Walt and I had kind of discussed this before the podcast and some of the stuff that we wanted to talk about, about effective range for turkeys. Now, do you want to touch on that some or? Absolutely. This is a perfect time for me to tell you about technology. Once upon a time, Bear made a whitetail bow about 28 years ago. They sold at Walmarts and everywhere you could find it, and it shot about 200 foot a second, and you could successfully kill a deer at 30 yards, 35 yards. After that, you know, it dropped so rapidly, it probably wasn't effective. Once upon a time, deer hunters hunted successfully with a 30-30 which had a maximum effective range back in the days, especially with, with, without optics, of probably 100 yards. You know, you put a scope on a 30-30, you can, you can kill one 150 yards or better. Then the 30-06 became a very popular deer round, which was already in the M4s, Garands, M1 Garands, I'm sorry, from World War II. Very, very powerful round. They, they, they implemented that into a soft point, 150, 170-grain bullet, 30 caliber for a deer rifle. So all I'm saying, if I'm saying anything about the maximum effective range of technology and what it's coming to with choke tubes, apex ammunition, and TSS, if you have a deer rifle that shoots 300 yards, you look at your buddies and go, I have, I'm too proud to shoot one that far because my gun will do it. So I'm only going to shoot a deer, that 150 class buck. I'm only going to shoot him at 100 yards. If he's past 100 yards, I'm probably not going to shoot him. <laughs> answer that question. Somebody answer that for me. No, no, I've no, never no, said that. No. Never. <laughs> okay, I, well, you're talking to a guy that his romance in turkey hunting is calling him as close as I can with a turkey call. I don't run decoys. I don't fan. I don't reap. I will sneak. Now, I, I'm not against low crawling for a turkey if he's playing hard to get but ultimately <laughs> the romance for me is calling okay and and that's not everybody's that's not going to be everybody's bag but my point is when all of a sudden tss and long i'm look i'm an apex guy i'm on i'm with apex long beard xrs extended rage winchesters came out that was one of the first alloys that came out several years ago they're they've they've long since been out of production but so so we have a choke, we have pattern density, and we have kinetic en- energy to kill a bird past 40 yards. Mm-hmm. 40 yards was only the magic number because that was the absolute furthest back in the old days you could kill a turkey consistently. And so people and the purist, and I, w- I want to say I'm a damn purist, but people have settled on that number as the magic number, but yet – we can now pattern out. Look, I'm just going to say this. My gun will kill one at 60 yards every time I pull the trigger. Do I go out turkey hunting going, man, I hope he hangs up at 60 so I can pull the trigger on my Apex GT3s and shoot him at? No, no. I kill the majority of my birds at 30 to 40 yards, and I'd only do that because I want the pattern to open up a little bit. I don't want to shoot them at 10 yards because there's no margin of error. There's no margin of error at thirty at ten yards because the pattern doesn't open up enough. I don't want even want to take the chance of me getting too excited and jerking the damn trigger and I end up not being able to kill him consistently because it's a softball at thirty yards or twenty yards. So 
we go back to 30 to 40 where my pattern starts to open up. It gives me about six inches either side of his head to consistently kill him. But will my turkey gun kill one out to 60 yards all day every time I pull the trigger? It takes 4.3 pounds of kinetic energy to break a turkey's neck. TSS number nine Apex ammunitions are killing. They're carrying that uh, uh, up to six to eight pounds out to 60, 70 yards of kinetic energy to break bone on a wild turkey. We've mm. done the test on gelatin. We've done the test on tissue. It It will do it. Is it what I go out to do when I go turkey hunting? No, never. I, I don't know if I've ever – I've killed a bird a time or two out past those extended ranges, mainly because I misjudged the distance. That's the beauty of that. I thought he was closer <laughs> than he was, yeah. And luckily, the loads and the chokes and the red dots, and I, and I can go in, in a little bit about red dots, about if you're going to capitalize on the technology that allows you to shoot one a little further than the traditional 40-yard range, Use a red dot because simply what it does is it makes a finer sight picture. Sure. You don't, you put a bead on a bird at 50 yards and it almost the traditional beads on shotguns, even today's shotguns, it'll about cover the whole Turkey. So you cannot effectively get a sight picture. You need to even begin to shoot that far. If your gun, your choke and your apex or your TSS or your extended range or whatever load you're using will do it. You have to have the ability to have a fine sight picture or you're still taking a chance of winning the turkey because you might body shoot him. You might just, you know, well, body shoot him. You might not make that clean, effective neck and headshot you need to immobilize him and kill him cleanly. So that's what I'm saying. Technology has afforded us longer shots with turkey guns, period. Does that mean you go out there and a bird hangs up at 80 yards and I'm, and I'm going to shoot at this turkey? No. And that's where the disclaimer comes into this whole thing and what I'm trying to explain as eloquently as I can. Don't go out there going, I'm going to shoot him 85 yards with my dad going TSS because my gun is this and that. That's not <laughs> what we go out doing. Let's not be redneck bill here, people. Come on. <laughs> you know, that you, you should not, in, in my opinion, that's a bit of a stretch. Come on. Put your gun on paper. Pattern your gun. With your red dot, whatever chokes that you have that's available to you, whatever loads you have available to you, if you can put 8 to 10 pellets in the skeletal regions of a wild turkey target, what at, at the furthest range that you just at your choosing, that's going to be your effective maximum effective killing range. 8 to 10 pellets, not in his head and neck, in the skeletal regions of that turkey target. His neck or his neck bone, his vertebrae, or his skull. Don't go out there turkey hunting thinking that's what you're going to do. Don't go out there going, well, I hope he hangs up at 80 yards because I can kill him. Don't do that. Don't lose the romance of calling that turkey in close and enjoying what we've all loved to do for 30, 20, 30, however long you've been turkey hunting. Don't get hung up on I can shoot him further than I once could. But don't discount the fact that the technology has allowed us to get a little bit right more – a little more range out of our shotguns because this is what I'm gonna leave you with. I'm, I'm as again long-winded, <laughs> but this is what this is what I'm gonna leave you guys with. How many times do turkeys win against us turkey hunters? Too many. Too many. <laughs> yeah. Too many times. <laughs> I was <about> to say, <laughs> always more, way, way more than we defeat them. Sure. If you can have a gun that patterns effectively and it's a little bit further than the traditional 40-yard range. If you can get 50 yards out of your gun or 55, 55 or, or even 60, if you can stretch it out a little bit and get that every time you pull the trigger pattern, 
you're going to kill him. Then, by God, if he hangs up and you're comfortable and you know without a doubt you can kill that bird and not maim him or wound him, then freaking take the shot. But don't go out there with those intentions. That, that's right. all I'm saying. Right. Don't go out there with those intentions and always remember that they're going to kick our butts about eight out of ten times. And that's coming from me, and I kill a pile of turkeys, as you guys know. Yeah. And I still get my butt kicked quite regularly. Absolutely. So just just go out there with intentions of shooting him at 30 or 40 yards. And if the technology and your gun and you've done your homework and you know what your gun will do, and he does hang up on you and you're comfortable with the shot, then by God, take it. Don't go out there with intentions of, of pot-shotting turkeys at ranges that you know your gun won't do, period. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 oh, go ahead, Jason. No, I was just going to say I, I, I learned kind of the effective range on a – gun early on when i started hunting like back when i first started turkey hunting this is probably about 13 years ago and i went out i was out on my own i had this bird pitched down into this uh, open like power line area and i was way back in these little short pine trees and he was walking he was kind of looking I, of course i'm amped up this is the first turkey i've ever had uh coming for me and he, he's walking he's staying in this power line and i didn't realize how far back i was in these short pine trees and he's walking. Well, he, he finally comes into an opening. I'm like, okay, I got him. Uh, I put the bead on him. And like you said, it was, a, it was a bead, and it covered up quite a bit of his head. Well, I pull the trigger. And then he starts flopping dead. And I'm like, oh, man, I just killed my first turkey. Super pumped. I run through these pine trees, uh, go to get him. And I'm like, man, that was, a, that was a long ways away. It was a lot further than I thought it was because I thought he was about 40 yards probably at the time. So I was like, well, let me go back and step this off. And it was, I think I stepped it off at like 63 yards or something. And that was not my intention to shoot a bird at 63 yards whatsoever. First bird <laughs> I ever kill, 63 yards, pretty much dropped stone dead when I shot him. And uh, I was like, I can't, I can't believe this. Obviously, I want him to be a lot closer than that. And I mean, I have made some longer shots since then because I was like, well, it can, you can do it. If, as long as you go out and you test your gun and you know the effective range of your gun and you feel confident in it, then that, that's what I've always said, take the shot. But like I said, I've never gone out hoping to shoot birds at 60 yards. Obviously, I want them right on top of me about blowing my hat off with a gobble. Um, but yeah, right. so, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely and, and, agree with And that. here's a great point. And what you just said, when you do fine-tune your weapon of choice and your load of choice with all the great ammunition out there, obviously I'm going to preach Apex till I'm dead. But a lot of times we just misjudge distances. And that bird you thought was 40 was 52. But you know what? If you've done your homework and you know it will kill a bird effectively to 60, you're still going to cleanly dispatch that bird. And that's the beauty of doing your homework because I take a rangefinder in my turkey vest. And I, especially when I'm really? running more open terrain. Yes, sir. Yes, <laughs> sir. So every cool. time I sit down, every, it's like bow hunting for me. Yes. So that's another, another thing we can touch on real fast at the end of this deal. Take your rangefinder, stick it, your turkey vest. There's plenty of pockets, shoot some trees. Now, if it's obviously, if you're on a pasture or something wide open, shoot a cow pie. Shoot a, shoot, a, shoot a cow patty or mm -hmm. shoot a little green bush, but find yourself a few anchor marks that you know is where your maximum range is. Yes, sir. And the people, that, that absolutely blows people's minds, just like you said. Really? Yes. I carry a rangefinder. My bow rangefinder is in my turkey vest. And when I sit down, I will shoot trees or anything that I can use as a reference point to find out exactly where I'm at. Because especially when you get to open areas and big open hardwoods, 
man, I shot at two turkeys in Wisconsin a few years ago, and this is embarrassing, but I have no problem problem embarrassing myself. I thought they were 50-ish, which I knew my gun would kill them cleanly every time. Those birds were almost 80 yards, and I'm <laughs> wow. so embarrassed wow. to tell you guys, in big open hardwoods, how bad I misjudged their distances. And And that particular morning, this was like three years ago in Wisconsin, I did not take the time. I had my rangefinder, but it happened really quick. We, it was breaking daylight. The birds were not ham; they weren't gobbling. They hammered on top of us right at the end. We flopped down. I started calling. They flew down. They were on us. The birds were too far, and mm-hmm. I just misjudged them. Everybody does it. If you didn't misjudge a turkey in the last five years, I call you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> okay? I mean, I'm just saying. Right. Everybody does it. I don't care how good or how many birds you kill or, or how bad of a turkey ninja you are. You're going to misjudge them, and I did it. So from that point, I swore and that I would never, ever, ever do that again. I would take the minute to shoot some trees or landmarks and find out what, where I was at least my, my ranges for my turkey gun. Yep. Yep. That's yep. awesome, man. Yep. Well, so these new loads, these new chokes, red yeah. dots, will definitely help a guy out. Maybe he doesn't take what I say about range finding. He's like, that guy's an idiot, whatever. I'm not going to take my rangefinder. So he doesn't. He doesn't take his rangefinder. But you know what? These new loads do is they'll they'll kill a bird cleanly and not maim a bird when when a guy does misjudge one right. 10, 15 yards. Right. Not as grossly as I misjudged them that day. <laughs> right. But there are plenty of birds that are die, that die um, because they were a little bit further than the guy thought he was. But he had a good load and he had a good shell and he had a good red dot and it still cleanly dispatched the turkey. So it does give us that as well that advantage. I have a final question for you. And that is this. If you could go back to your earliest turkey hunting self and give yourself one singular piece of advice that would change the trajectory of you as a turkey hunter for the better, what one piece of advice would that have been? If I had one thing to say I would probably that I would do differently, and it took me at 45 that I didn't know at 10, <laughs> was to be patient. And when I say be patient, that doesn't mean sitting all day long and calling and not moving as much is that has been very successful as I've gotten older blind calling, which is a whole nother podcast. I love to blind call in areas where I know I have birds. We blind call. That's what we were doing Saturday morning with Jake's bird. We, we were in a place we couldn't really move because of different, different right. areas that are different people's. It was a hunting lease. So we weren't, we weren't hunting on a big giant outfitter ranch. So we had certain areas we couldn't move to. So we just opted to set up and blind call and, and, and see what unfolded. But not only the patience factor in a situation like that, where we knew we knew we were going to have to sit there most till lunch and just call and create different scenarios. You know, fighting turkeys, feeding turkeys, gobbling. I gobbled on my tube call. Not only applicable to being patient, sitting for long periods, is when you have a bird you're working, don't get in too much of a hurry when you're working that turkey. Let him work. And, and it kind of goes hand in hand with overcalling, I think. Um, don't call too much too early. Don't give all your bag of tricks. Don't throw your ace in the hole, your trump card. Don't throw it right off the bat, whether it's fighting purrs or, or super excited cutting. Just do the basics right off the bat and be patient with that. Let the bird work. Play cat and mouse with that gobbler. Cat and mouse is what kills turkeys. Even with guys that aren't very versed in calling, they're not great callers. Just giving them enough to keep that curiosity peaked, if you will, will kill lots and lots of turkeys, and that's called patience. 
and you apply that to your calling as well, being patient, meaning not be patient in between your calling sequences. Don't give them everything right off the gut, right off the, the bat. Give it some time. Call very basic with him. Be patient. Don't dump everything you have right off the bat. Use the basics and then just let patience take over. Now, again, like I mentioned earlier, you can take the patience factor and apply it to just sitting and calling and, and knowing you're in a place that has birds and it's a target-rich environment, if you will. Just hang tight, be patient, and put that sweet music out there. Put those different calling sequences out there and just wait for something to unfold. And that's probably patience would be the biggest thing I would say that I wish I learned earlier. That I, at a, After 35 seasons, I think it's up to it took me about 15 years of the 35 to start figuring out if I just sit here and be patient, if I don't call too much, too quick, too fast, and be patient with my sequences, then I'm going to kill more turkeys. It took a long, it took about 15 years to realize that. And now as I'm getting older and older and slower and slower, patience just makes sense. <laughs> Instead of walking 47 miles, I can walk – a set a seven tenths of a mile and sit in one spot where I know there's lots of birds and do my magic with my calling ability yeah, yeah. and make it happen and never have to go 47 miles. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. It, it's funny. No matter what the discipline is, the answer is never really very much. It's dis it's discipline. It's patience. It's, it's uh, maybe, maybe uh, reading what's been given to you a little more clearly and, you know, not thinking too hard. It's, it's always kind of touching on the same thing, and it seems like all the, the greats like yourself uh, have a similar experience. So, dude. Well, it's not rocket science. You right. know, it's not. It's not It's not rocket science. The other thing I will say this, if I have, if I can indulge myself one more time. Sure. Take notes. Take a journal. Um, something that I, I did not do as much as I wanted to do early in my turkey years. Um, remember, whatever you have to do, to remember what was successful for one particular hunt, whether I clucked and purred that turkey to death because he gobbled 400 times and I did not want to keep him gobbling, I was on public land, whether it was repositioning on that turkey, whether it was staging a fight with fighting purrs, whether it was gobbling at that calm, whether it was getting super aggressive because he really was reluctant to gobble, so I got super aggressive and cut real hard and, and scalded him, is what I call it, scalding him. Remember all the situations that you can, whether it's documenting it in a journal. Um, I've had the luxury for the last 10 years or so to, to have every hunt that I go on just about filmed. So I can go back and watch hunts. Not, not everybody's going to have that luxury, but you can take notes and take, take a journal with you and, and just take a minute to, to jot down notes about what made that hunt successful. And you can go back through and you can recall and relive those hunts and how you can then apply those particular circumstances to that tactic and you may get the same results it may not work every time but you have a bag of tricks you have a trick a a, 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 a book of tricks if you will that you can apply to the next hunt and and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but if you do something and you have options then then you have potential for success you have options you have another play in your playbook there we go you have another play in your playbook that you can try that may work. Be three-dimensional. Don't go to the woods with the same set of skills, the same set of, of techniques or scenarios in your mind that you're going to employ when you go hunting. Always think that there's something else you can do to make that daggone bird close the distance and get him going. <laughs> 
I, yes. I, I am adding a leather bound journal to go in my turkey vest. I'm going to do there that right go. now, man. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 dude, I appreciate you taking the time. Hang on one second. I want to talk with you, but I'm going to close this thing out. Guys, do me one favor right now. Go subscribe to Hunt Quest. Go look at all four seasons. Binge all four seasons like I have over the last th- <laughs> uh, two and a half, three weeks. Um, that's that's a real thing. I've gone through every episode. I am I am fired. I appreciate up. it. Yeah, man, it's amazing. It's it's one of the few shows that I feel like you really come away not just entertained but thoroughly learning and take that learning to the next level. Get that Turkey Tech app. Go sit outside and save your marriage while you do it, but sit out there, <laughs> listen to those turkeys, watch the videos that he's put together, but most importantly, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. 